Lindsay Gibbs here. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Um, it is just today, me and Amira Rose Davis. We got the Gemini crew here, <laughs> ready to very, very messily captain this ship. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for listening. We're very excited about today's episode. We're going to do a little NCAA women's hoops preview because me and Amira love women's college basketball. Um, I should go ahead and note there is no interview this week. It is Thanksgiving here in the United States. Um, So take the day off if you can. Um, Enjoy with your family if you want to. (laughs) Eat if that's what makes you feel good. But at the top, I know Amira and I both watched some exciting women's soccer this week. The NWSL championship game where the Washington Spirit defeated the Red Stars. It was a great championship game. There were over 10,000 people on hand in Louisville uh, to watch. And, you know, the Washington Spirit, as we've discussed on the show many times, have had quite a season. It's been really, really rough for them Um, off the field. Ownership disputes, um, their coach getting fired, also COVID protocols. They had to forfeit a couple games. So, you know, a lot to talk about. But this game, I mean, it was Trandy Rodman. Trandy Rodman is everything. You know, she is uh, so good. And her pass to Kelly O'Hara and then Kelly O'Hara's finish. I always love when, you know, defenders get their, you know, score goals, <laughs> you know, because this is Kelly O'Hara's first goal of the season, which is always, you know, what a time to do it. But that connection, rookie to vet, you know, 19-year-old to, I think, the oldest player to ever win an NWSL championship uh, game was, you know, my favorite moment of uh, the game for sure. It sounds like Louisville really put on, um, you know, made it really an event, which I think is just such a good step for the game. Amira, what uh, soccer were you watching this week? Yeah, you know, I'm watching the NCAA women's postseason tournament. They are in this wild weekend where you go and you cut the fields um, down with back-to-back games. And so they're in the second round. They're playing campus sites. Um, and then uh, there's games today. And then the field will be eight. And we'll basically go into the third round leading into the College Cup in uh, Santa Barbara, California, the first week of December. So, of course, I am uh, watching Penn State women's soccer. You know, it's been a rocky year due to a lot of injuries. Injuries, but people are now coming back. Jordan Kenneth is back. Peyton Linehan is back from injury and is kind of gelling at the right time. So I was watching their big second round game with um, 11th overall and the number two seed in their division, uh, USC. And they were playing in LA at USC. Um, and they went up first early uh, and then USC tied it up. And then they were leading two to one with four minutes to play. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to buy a ticket to L.A. Uh, And then USC tied it up 2-2. And then we went into not one but two overtime periods, and there was still no decisive victory. So they they went into PKs. And, uh, you know, PKs, no matter what, are always thrilling and also terrifying. Um, But they went up. Early on PKs, Kat Asman blocked the first one for USC. So it just meant everybody else had to hit. And uh, they all did. And so they're moving on. They'll actually play today at time of recording in L.A. as well versus 
University of South Carolina. So they got one USC and they're going on to another one. Um, and so it's an exciting weekend of women's college soccer. I love it so much. All right, today we are going to take us into the women's college basketball season. We're a couple of weeks in now. Um, there are a couple of really big tournaments over the Thanksgiving long weekend that you should uh, cuddle up, hopefully find a free trial for Flow Hoops, and you know watch these great games. It feels like it has been a lifetime since March and since our tournaments this year. So just want to give a quick breakdown of where we stand, where the landscape is. If you remember last year, Stanford won it all, taking down Arizona in that ridiculously nail-biting championship game. Um, the other two Final Four teams were South Carolina and UConn. Last year's Player of the Year was Paige Beckers, and then Melissa Smith got the Wade Trophy. And then, you know, coming into this year, the big news is, well, that just happened this week, honestly, is that the women's NCAA tournament has expanded to 68 teams, so from 64 to 68. The fields will be announced on Sunday, the same day the men will, so Selection Sunday will be men's and women's. We are recording this on Sunday morning before the game that I'm most excited about, which is Baylor versus Maryland uh, this afternoon. So hopefully uh, this conversation is still relevant. Um, We've already had some other big top five games in the first game of the season. South Carolina defeated NC State, number one defeated number five, 66 to 57. So it's just right out the gates. We are started um, with really big. Um, I wanted to just quickly give an overview of the top 10 in our AP top 25. As of November 15th, we got South Carolina at number one, UConn at number two, Maryland at number three. Indiana at number four, NC State at number five, Baylor at number six, Stanford at number seven, Iowa at eight, Oregon at nine, and Louisville at 10, although I guarantee you Louisville will not be in the top 10 (laughs) by the time you're listening to this. Um, Amira, can you kind of recap? There were some coaching changes during this offseason. We remind people where we are with the coaches. Absolutely. The coaching carousel was in full swing. Um, So first off, uh, Nikki McRae-Penson, of course, announced uh, in early October that she was stepping down at Mississippi State after one year there um, due to health concerns. Um, So Doug Novak is taking over as the interim head coach, and we wish we're sending all the love and healing vibes to, to Nikki. Um, yes. Definitely. Uh, Quentin Hilsman is out at Syracuse um, because, you know, inappropriate behavior. Please read about that at The Athletic. Von Reed is taking over at head coach. Of course, one of the biggest uh, storylines on the offseason was Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor. Um, she's returning to her home state of Louisiana and is coaching at LSU. Nikki Collin is taking over at Baylor in her place. And Lindsay Gottlieb is head coach of USC. Um, also, coach Vivian Stringer um, is is sitting out the season um, due to COVID-19 concerns up at Rutgers. Um, and so you see not only there's a lot of coaching swings, um, but even that top 10 <laughs> that Lindsay shared with us 
it, you can already see, not only with Louisville being in the mix, but you can already see a lot of changes and in, in roller coaster ride of the season are starting. Of course, uh, South Carolina's Raven Johnson is out for the year already with a left knee injury, was a top recruit. And so we'll see if uh, South Carolina can retain that number one. They received 25 of those votes for first place with UConn also receiving five. And so I think that you can also see in the top 10 that there are so many conferences represented, um, which means we're in for a really, really fun year in terms of both conference tournaments and the overall picture. Um, I personally cannot even wait till March at this point. I know. It's so fun. Uh, but it seems like the, the non-conference schedules get more exciting every single year, too. Absolutely. So, like, it used to be I kind of skipped over the first couple of months of the college basketball season, like, and then woke up for conference play. But and but can we also talk about that for, like, for folks who aren't, like, knowing the kind of rhythm of a college basketball season for women's college basketball, it's a weird thing because it kind of just, like, starts but, like, with a whisper because they're playing, like, random non-conference games. They're pre- playing schools that there's some lopsided victories you're like is this really starting how much stake should we put in the first few games and then everybody goes and does tournaments which are really great and then like you're kind of chilling and you're like oh nothing matters and then all of a sudden you look up and it's like a big game big game big game conference play high stakes da 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 and you're like thrown into it so it's a weird season where it doesn't necessarily start with a bang but all of a sudden like on a random Tuesday you look up and you realize like so much is on the line yeah, except this year, like I said, like it, we you know we started with South Carolina, NC State. We've yeah. got Baylor, Maryland right now. Like you know, teams are going a little bit more out of their way for some bigger uh, non-conference games. Although there are always a few. But anyways, we want to give you kind of a quick preview. This is not comprehensive because <laughs> we would be here till Thanksgiving Day itself if we were giving you a comprehensive full preview. But we did want to just kind of go into talking a little bit about these. The conferences, kind of the four biggest conferences that have the most news. I want to start with the Big Ten, um, which is not usually where you start when previewing women's college basketball, I got I to say. But this year's Big Ten, it had a great the, – the conference had a great season last year, uh, had a great showing NCAA tournament. And then this year, you've got Maryland at number three. Iowa's at number eight. Indiana's there at number four. Three Big Ten teams in the top ten right now. Michigan's also in the top 25. They're ranked at number 13. Nas Hillman, Nas Hillman, Nas Hillman. They can be really good this year. Um, Ohio State at number 21 also has a chance to be really good this year. And then, you know, you've got a lot of great other great teams. Northwestern um, always can make some moves. Um, Michigan State always has a say in things. I got to say, I paid more attention to the Big Ten when I started covering Maryland women's basketball when I moved to D.C. in 2016. And even just five years ago, the Big Ten was so bad. Like, all we did was watch Maryland at their home games and conference play pretty much just roll over every single big 10 opponent, but then they get to March madness and you know, they weren't really tested. So it's just wild to see how far the big 10 has come over the past few years. Indiana just has, I think is very unique team because it's got so many players coming back. It's got a lot of, you know, six year players who've been around for six years on that team. And so really no superstar stands out. Of course, Iowa, we've got Caitlin Clark back. So let's see how her follow-up season is going to be. Maryland. I mean, we'll talk more about the players I've got an eye on there, but 
you know, from top to bottom, they are thrilled. And I like, I really just want to see Maryland in the tournament right now. I really want to see them back in a final four. But I don't know. I mean, I just love how gritty and tough the Big Ten is because it was such an afterthought for so many years. Amira, I know you've got your eyes on uh, one conference in particular. <laughs> How's SEC looking? <laughs> when you talk about gritty and tough, like, I'm glad the Big Ten is building back up. Um, but gritty and toughness coincide with the SEC for me. Um, it is a really tough conference with a lot of intensity. Um, and that's like a very delicate way of saying <laughs> it. So, yeah, it's a really interesting conference. There's a lot of things happening in it this year. Of course, you have Don Staley's Gamecocks as, as the big dogs, number one, not just in the conference, but overall. They have a lot of expectations on them. And I think that everybody in the SEC has built up their programs to take aim at the Gamecocks with good reason. And so I think that when you think of the SEC, its revival has been a place where you see teams uh, build to beat Don's teams. And you see ADs hiring people in Don's image. It's not a coincidence that the SEC is the place where you can find the most Black women coaches in women's college basketball. But it also means on the court, there's a lot of drama because in many ways, they're trying to figure out how do we put together a team that will be competitive in SEC play first and foremost. So you have the Gamecocks leading the way. Of course, you have uh, Texas A&M, the Aggies, uh, high up in those preseason polls, uh, coming off a good postseason, they also had a number of their seniors return. Kayla Wells, in particular, Jordan Nixon is still there, um, and they have a pretty good team. Of course, my cousin played on the Aggies last year. She's transferred to LSU to reunite with Kim Mulkey, who's the coach that she started her career with at Baylor. And there's a lot of storylines around Mulkey and what she'll bring to the SEC, even though it's going to take a minute to build up a program, of course. Um, but she is going in with a lot of eyes on her um, because it's Kim Mulkey and it's women's college basketball. So, of course, there will be. Um, and and getting the team that's a fairly young team into a place of competition in this conference will be really interesting to watch. You also have teams like Arkansas, teams like Kentucky, right? Kyra Elsie in her first year last year as an interim. This is her first like true year as the head coach. It'll be really interesting to see what these teams that had really kind of scrappy moments last year that unexpectedly, um, you know, Alabama had its first appearance in postseason play, right? A lot of these teams outperformed and were really hard games for folks in the conference to see what they build, to see what but they continue to build off of those years. Tennessee, right, is climbing away back up to being a powerhouse again. Joni Taylor's Georgia dogs, of course, can never be out of the conversation. You saw Joni Taylor, of course, meet Don Staley as the first two black women ever in an SEC championship game. Um, and so it's a conference that has very clear heavyweights, but also so many people that are positioned to take the crown or at least make it really hard for you to hold on to it. Um, and I, for one, of course, am enjoying yes. <laughs> the show that they all are going to put on. Same, same. You know, being back here in North Carolina, it does have me uh, 
going full out on watching the ACC this year. I'm very excited, I have to say, to you know have more access to those games and those teams and those players. And to me, there's just so many big time questions about the ACC. Like I have no idea what's going to happen this season. Um, and that's kind of cool. You know, I think we don't know what a lot of these teams are. You know, a lot of these teams are kind of in a rebuilding phase. You've got Notre Dame with, you know, Coach Ivy. It's her second full year as head coach. Um, Notre Dame had an off year last year, but I can't see that program being down for too long, right? So, like, what are what are we really going to see from her? In the same vein, um, we didn't get to see Duke under Carol Lawson much last year because they uh, stopped the season um, due to COVID concerns pretty early. And so there's been so much hype about Kara Lawson getting to do, getting that team back in, in the mix. And we've all heard Kara Lawson's speeches. I can't imagine that they're not going to be a factor for so long. And she's got some really great recruits and great signings over there. NC State, this is the year. You've got uh, my Greensboro gal, Elise Kunain, who uh, is your center there. She's now an upperclassman and no longer surprising anyone with her great play. Uh, NC State's ranked number five right now. But is this like the year they're really, really going to, you know, take that hump from like fun middle of the pack, like threat, you know, like they're not they're not a Cinderella anymore. They're no longer a feel good story, right? It's time for them to get to the final four. It's kind of a final four bus type year for NC State. And at the same time, you know, you've got Louisville, who was upset by Texas early in this season, as I mentioned, will not be in the top 10 by the time you're listening to this. And we're very curious, you know, they don't have Dana Evans anymore. How are they going to react? What's North Carolina doing? They're also in a rebuild uh, type year. Um, Florida State, Virginia Tech, <laughs> Georgia Tech, so many programs that I don't feel like we know who they are right now. There's been so many coaching changes and kind of just so much turnover, but that to me is really exciting. I just, I cannot wait to see what shakes out in the ACC and I cannot make any predictions even. That is a conference that I am just buckled up and along for the ride. Amira, what about uh, the the conference that um, really showed up all other conferences last year? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're talking about the Conference of Champions, the Pac-12, of course, having not one, but two teams in the national championship game in Stanford and Arizona. Stanford, of course, winning it all last year and also making Coach Tara Vanderveer the winningest coach in the game. Um, and they look like they are <laughs> not stopping anytime soon. Uh, it will be very interesting to see see what Stanford does, but I'm also mostly really interested in what Adia Barnes does um, in Arizona. Of course, um, Aries not on the team, right? Like went into the league, but her roster in many ways is deeper than it was last year. And I'm really excited to see how Arizona continues to build off of last year's success um, and where that takes them in the preseason poll, right? They were just outside of that top 10. But in addition to Stanford and Arizona, you're talking about a conference, of course, that has Oregon, right? It has up-and-coming Oregon State. You can never really count out some of these other teams like UCLA. And I mean, like, even teams like Utah <laughs> look like they uh, could at least threaten some in-conference rivalries. So it'll be very interesting to see 
you know, who ends up emerging victorious from the Pac-12. Of course, all eyes are really uh, looking at Stanford, Arizona, and Oregon kind of vying for um, these top positions. But, you know, they've kind of branded themselves the Conference of Champions. And we'll see how not only conference play goes, but how many of their teams show up in a meaningful way in the postseason. I'm ready. Um, Of course, there are, you know, a few conferences that we're not getting to uh, in this preview, probably most notably, probably the Big 12. It's got Baylor and Texas, who Texas should be a top 10 team by the time you're listening to this. Uh, Well, depending on what happens, we got a Texas-Tennessee game on Sunday as we're recording this, so we don't know what's happening there. But they have some contenders there. Of course, UConn is not in any of these big conferences, but... Early, early in this year, they look as good as anyone. I mean, for me, when we talk about, which is we're going to pivot to now, kind of players that we have our eye on as we're coming into this season, we're going to kind of do this rapid fire. To me, a big thing was like, how is Caitlin Clark at Iowa and then Paige Beckers at UConn going to follow up their huge freshman seasons? So far, especially for Paige, we're doing pretty good. Um also, Ashley Wusu in Maryland is my favorite player to watch. <laughs> the point guard, when she goes downhill, girl, there is no stopping her. <laughs> like, it is power personified. Um, Ryan Howard at Kentucky has been one of my favorite players to watch for years. Aliyah Matharu at Texas is already making waves. And then, of course... Of course, Aaliyah Boston at South Carolina, um, who, you know, just be happy you're living in the era (laughs) of seeing these big women in college basketball, like going after it. Um, And if I'm talking freshmen, it's uh, AZ Fudd at, once again, at UConn, who has had so much hype. A good friend of the show, Katie Barnes, wrote a big profile on Fudd. I've been following Fud for years because uh, she was in the D.C. area. So I had lots of friends covering her. So really excited to see what her freshman season ends up being, even though I don't love watching UConn. Um, sorry, Shireen. Amira, what players are you keeping an eye out for? Yeah, um, I think it's a really interesting uh, freshman recruiting class over at uh, University of Texas that Vic Schaefer has there, including Ali Moore and um, Amina Muhammad. It will be really interesting to see... Um, how some of these young teams match up. I think that there's this really interesting dynamic that's happening where there's like young players paired with like a few fifth year seniors, right? And so you can watch teams kind of rebuild for the future while trying to win now with like this interesting mix. I think Texas is a place where you see that's happening. And it's also happening, of course, at LSU. Um, I'm obviously biased, but I'm watching my cousin, Alexis Morris. She's playing, um, like I said, at LSU. And it's really great to see her back in the starting lineup. She's played two games so far and been the second leading scorer in both of them. She's just like a walking highlight reel. I think that they put together a little package of her return where she like uh, hit a shot and then ran back and blocked a shot and then like had a steal within like 
90 seconds. And so it's always enjoyable to kind of watch that develop. And then um, I'm I'm obviously watching to see what it looks like for her to be a leader on the court um, and to, to really step into being an upperclassman leader. You know, she's had a rocky journey in, in her college career, but um, it'll be really interesting what it feels like, you know, full circle, of course, for her to be back um, playing under Mulkey. Uh, you know, Lindsay named all the other players I have my eye on, of course, Ren Howard and um, some of these these sophomores, right, that had their debut season in the weirdest year ever um, and kind of seeing what what this season looks like when it's not as COVID-y and it's, you know, is it a sophomore slump? Is it something to build off of? That's really exciting to see. And so uh, I'll be looking forward to that as well. I also wanted to mention a player I didn't bring up is Shakira Austin at Ole Miss, who is probably a really top, you know, WNBA prospect. She was at Maryland her freshman year. So um, I got to follow her very quickly. So I'm very excited to see what she does. Like Amira said, did last season even count? Do you know what I mean? Like, did last season even exist? It was like a, a blur. Blur. Like, and I just like, I think that's why I have so many questions about so many teams that are so different from 2019 because... You know, I think last season left more questions on the table than gave us answers, um, in my opinion. All right, we want to end this segment with a bold prediction. (laughs) Something that people can really hang over our heads. Amira, I'm going to make you go first. My bold prediction is that Arizona is going to be back in the final four. I love that. I love the Arizona and Adia Barnes. I think having faith in Adia Barnes is a smart move. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, not that bold, but. Uh... I was about to say, I don't know how bold it is to be like, I trust Adia Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like in the time where people are like, oh, that was like a kind of flash in the bottle year, da da da. Like, I guess my bold prediction is being like, watch out, because Adia is not going anywhere. Yeah. My bold prediction is going to go with a team in the SEC that. I don't know. I just feel like this is their year to bounce back. I feel like it's time for Tennessee to kind of, um, I like what Kelly Harper has been building there. I liked some of the games they played. They were very inconsistent last season, but like had a high ceiling rebuilding that program after Pat summit. And, and then after, um, Holly Warlick left, it's a, it's a tall task, but I really love what Kelly Harper's doing there. I don't know if I'm willing to say Final Four. I'm going to say, though, getting back to the Elite Eight for the first time since 2016, that you're going to see Tennessee back in the mix, which I think is good for <laughs> everybody, uh, you know, because talk about fan bases that um, are loyal and are loud. Yeah. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. 
Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have no uh, new interview coming out this week, but if there's an interview that I want you to go back and listen to specifically this week, um, it's our one from November 12th, 2020. We'll put it up on our socials this week where Brittany Collins talked to our Jessica Luther about taking on the NCAA. And unfortunately, that leads us straight to our burn pile this week because this week the NCAA announced Wednesday that the appeals committee had upheld the penalties against Massachusetts men's basketball and the women's tennis program. Um, If you do not know how bullshit that is, let me remind you. So the women's tennis program and the men's basketball program received extra financial aid, impermissible financial aid, totaling $9,100 to 12 athletes over three years. So when you do that division, we're not talking about a lot of money, um, that made them ineligible for competition. The NCAA had previously used this to void and vacate results from 2014 to 2017 that included 59 basketball victories and an Atlantic 10 Conference Championship in women's tennis. You might say, well, but if they received extra money, you know, they deserve to be punished. Well, let me tell you what that money was for. Like in the case of Brittany Collins, that money was unknowingly receiving $252 each in extra scholarship money that was intended for a landline phone jack. She did not know she had received this extra money. And when Massachusetts realized what it had done, it self-reported the violations to the NCAA saying this was our mistake. And yet the NCAA said it doesn't matter if it was an innocent mistake. It doesn't matter how small amount of money it is. You still paid these players a little bit extra money. And that means they were playing while ineligible. And they upheld that decision. I just think it's a good reminder as we're moving into, you know, well, name, image, and likeness is a thing. And maybe the NCAA is um, changing its ways a little bit and becoming more modern and getting better. Now, at the core, they are still the same rotten, ridiculous institution that is holding on to the last gasp of power it has. Um, Brittany tweeted this week, today is a pretty sad day. The NCAA never acknowledged us, our petition, or asked us to participate. I truly cannot believe they denied the appeal standing with the decision to erase our careers. This is who the NCAA is. They do not care about athletes in the slightest. Once again, NCAA, you've got a permanent residency here in our burn pile. Burn. Burn. Amira? Yeah, um, I want to talk about a sensitive and ongoing situation. Um, And I'm talking, of course, about tennis player Pong Shui, uh, who is um, 35. And for the last few weeks, 
um, has been rising concerns about her safety and well-being. This follows uh, a note that she posted November 2nd, a long note on Weibo, which is a social media platform in in China, um, in which she detailed uh, being coerced into sex um, uh, with Zeng Goli, who is a former vice premier, uh, high-ranking official in the Communist Party in China. Um, and then she detailed a complicated consensual relationship that followed these initial encounters. She talked about um, humiliation uh, at the hands of his wife and talked about the kind of way that this relationship was both um, something that she took part of and initially felt coerced into and something that left her really um, kind of mentally feeling quite broken by and discarded by. And after this long post appeared, um, there was obviously a, a great deal of a reaction because there's a long fight um, by feminists in China to have victims of various uh, types of assault and harassment come forward and, and has usually been met with censorship and pushback. And this is one of the highest ranking kind of cases of this. Uh, and what we saw within minutes uh, of this uh, note appearing on her account was a complete scrubbing of her entire account from the Chinese internet. And what ensued has been a digital blackout. Um, and this lack of transparency has continued to um, shine a greater light on the situation. If you've noticed the hashtag, hashtag where's Peng Shui, because there has just been no further information. And then what we've started to see is sightings that have felt you know, insufficient, as, uh, you know, Simon, the president of the WTA has said, where it's a state-sponsored journalist um, saying, here's a video, here's a picture, she's fine. Here's a post that people are saying that's not in her her language, that's not in her words. Um, just overnight, right before we recorded this, there's two video clips that Chinese state-affiliated media shared um, that shows her having dinner with a coach and then shows her at signing tennis balls at like a charity event. Um, none of these have been posted on Weibo. They're all just kind of tweeted through this the state media. Um, and folks in the WTA have said, like, until we hear from her herself, this doesn't feel sufficient. This doesn't feel like it's on her own terms. Um, and calls are mounting. You have Naomi Osaka and you have Serena and you have Federer. You have uh, Billie Jean King, people in the tennis community continuing to raise concerns around this. Um, and it is layering onto the spotlight being on Beijing for these winter games that are now only a few months away here, um, where you have people talking about human rights abuse and and concerns in that way. And the WTA has now really taken a huge step to say our relationship with China is at a crossroads. We won't have any more tournaments here if we can't be assured of her safety. Um, and this is a big step in sports organizations that usually are trying to kind of be like, we don't want to touch this situation. You even saw the IOC immediately be like, oh, she's fine. We're taking their word for it because not taking their word for it would require you to even rethink the Beijing games that you have planned. And so it's just a scary situation and, it, and it's quite heart-wrenching. And I know that it can be hard to file, but um, we wanted to, you know, add our voices to say that we um, have concerns and, and we join in so many others hoping that um, Peng Shui is safe and, and sound and, and can speak of her own volition to that effect soon. And for all the other stuff, the lack of transparency and the general um, 
terror that happens when you're going up against a state in this regard. You know, that I'd like to burn it down. Burn, burn, burn. After that, definitely need some torch bears this week for our honorable mentions. Amira, who is our winner of the week? And uh, I mean that in the forehand winner, backhand winner type way. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that pun wasn't clear. Okay. <laughs> that would be Garvin Margarusa, who won the WTA championships with a 6-3-7-5 victory over Ana Contavite in Guadalajara, Mexico. She is the first Spaniard to win the title. We love it. Our deadlifter of the week is Angie Hool, an indigenous strong woman who recently won third place at the Amateur National Strongman Championship in Canada. This was the very first national competition for the 38-year-old mother of four. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. Amira, who's our flamethrower of the week? Yeah, Erin Jackson, the first black woman to qualify for the U.S. Olympic long track speed skating team in 2018, just four months after taking up the sport. Well, she just won her third World Cup speed skating gold of the season. She took the 500 meters in Norway. We interviewed her back in episode 40 if you want to check it out. Woo! And can I get a drum roll, please? Our torchbearers of the week. I got to go with the Washington Spirit. We talked about the top of the show. They beat the Chicago Red Stars to win the their very first uh, NWSL championship. Um, it was a thrilling game. Audrey Bledsoe, a goal, just crushed it. Um, Andy Sullivan got a PK. Kelly O'Hara with the goal off of a fire assist from Trinity Rodman, who I think was the best player in the whole game. But from top to bottom, that team has come together. And look, we all know I love D.C. And, you know, as they say, D.C. District of Champions, you know, the (laughs) the titles just keep flowing in. So congratulations to the spirit. Or as Emily Sonnet tweeted last night, maybe after that celebration, they should be renamed to the spirits. (laughs) All right, Amira, rounding up this, what is good with you? Um, Well, I want to start by saying a happy belated birthday to our own Jessica Luther, uh, who celebrated her birthday this past week, just in a quiet way. She went to the container store, if you want to know what Jessica Luther did on her birthday. That's perfect. It is, it is. Um, So I did, I just returned from a writing retreat in Tulum um, and it was good and um, productive and way too short as always. Um, And I returned home to say happy birthday to Jess and bring her some chocolates from Mexico um, because my grad school friends were coming into town um, and they, you know, flew to Austin to hang out with me for the weekend. And it's always nice to see um, you know, have friends come visit you. And that was very sweet. Sarah brought her little baby. So we had some baby time, which was wonderful. Um, me and the whole fam watched King Richard, um, which is now out along with Tick, Tick, Boom, which me and Mari loved as well. And and we really enjoyed King Richard. And just as a side, if, uh, you know, there's been some mumblings um, and I just want to like do a quick intersectionality lesson 101 um, that, there is, I think, an amazing utility in having a video about 
Black fatherhood in this way and somebody who was so maligned and continues to be <laughs> maligned um, over the course of the Williams sisters' careers. And um, it's very clear that the entire family, both Serena and Venus, as well as their other sisters, um, had a great deal of impact in in creating this film, which I really see as a love letter to their father um, and has some absolutely beautiful moments, little things like there's something about watching a movie when you know like what's going to happen. You know, so you see somebody walking through a tennis academy and saying, oh, that's so-and-so Roderick over there. But, you know, he's pretty good, but he has a little brother named Andy who did it out. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so those moments are beautiful, but it's a wonderful performance. And I burst into tears way too many times uh, throughout that movie, but it was fun to watch it with the kids and, and with Mike. Um, and so those are, that's really what's good um, for me right now is, is friendship and family and good entertainment and, um, you know, a little bit of writing productivity mixed into that. I love that. I cannot wait to see that. It might get me actually back to the theaters, yeah. <laughs> uh, which in COVID has not been the case. For me, oh God, this is honestly a tough week. Um, but I'm I, I would say what's good is that thanks to vaccines, you know, and booster shots gonna be able to, you know, actually celebrate Thanksgiving with the family this year and the bigger family and get my mom out of the um, you know, out of her her home and take her to Thanksgiving. And so I'm very excited for that. Um, that's kind of kind of where I am. Um, I've I got to say, you guys, it is. It's been almost a year since I moved back to Greensboro, and meeting people when you are this age. I am 35. It is tough. I've just been having a tough time now that my travels have calmed down a little bit. So definitely excited to have some family in town this week to keep my schedule moving. Now, what we're watching, we're going to be very specific about what we're watching this week because women's basketball episode, we want to talk about these women's basketball tournaments, these Thanksgiving week tournaments. Uh, the big two are the battle for Atlantis, which you've got UConn and South Carolina are in the Bahamas, Oregon as well. We could very easily get a UConn versus South Carolina game over this next week it's going to be on flow sports and then the finals will be on espn um so look for flow sports as well or flow hoops um and flow hoops is also where you'll be able to see the um baja mar hoops pink flamingo championship love these names i was about to say <laughs> the big one is on thanksgiving day it looks like we'll have nc state versus maryland is already slated um and indiana against stanford i cannot wait um mira we've also of course got the the women's soccer where can people watch that so uh, for women's soccer, uh, the postseason tournament is heading into the second and third rounds. Um, and so next week, you'll have the quarterfinals on November 26th or 27th. Both the time and where they'll be playing are completely up in the air, depending on who emerges from this weekend. Um, so that's the one where you kind of have to Google to see who is hosting those games. But we do know that the semifinals will be December 3rd um, at 7 and then again at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Both of those semis will air on ESPNU. Um, and then the final ends on December 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. That's the College Cup weekend. So if you 
you want to check out the College Cup, circle the December 3rd through 5th on your schedules and keep your eyes peeled to where those quarterfinal games will be played and when. There's already big upsets. We know UCLA was knocked out of the tournament from UC Irvine, uh, which was a big upset. So there's always some fun, you know, happenings going on in in women's college championship uh, tournament. So keep your eyes peeled. All right. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. Thank you all so, so much for listening. This episode was produced by the fabulous and fellow Gemini, Tressa Versteg. (laughs) Shelby Weldon is our web and social media guru. And we are part here at Burn It All Down of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and please rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For our show links and transcripts, you can check out burnitalldownpod.com. And there you can get a link to our merch at the Bonfire Store, which, you know, just saying there might be some holidays coming up, some reasons to give gifts to yourself and to the ones you love. And as always, thank you to our patrons. Your support means the absolute world. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show so we can keep these weekly episodes coming, um, visit patreon.com slash burn it all down. Burn on, not out.